Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 93. What do they teach in schools these days? This week we're discussing season 4, episode 18 of Buffy, Where the Wild Things Are, and the 2011 Doctor Who Christmas special, The Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, where the wild things are. Um, so, uh, I, I, I would have been really, really happy. That's the best opening happy. ever. So, uh, I was trying to think of how to say this. I would have been really, really, this is, of the things we can hold against this episode. This probably isn't a fair one, but I would have been really, really happy if both of these episodes referenced like classic children's literature. I know, like <laughs> in their titles. Um, unfortunately, there's a there's a distinct and unfortunate lack of like anything Maurice Sendak related in you know where the wild things are. Um, but uh, that's hardly well, the episode's fault so and, yeah. and i think i think they i think both of the uh stories here neither of them i guess i should say really live up to their namesakes <laughs> in it's any true. way it's true um, yeah the so, originals kind of eclipse the, the mm-hmm. their tv counterparts in this case yeah um and so I guess just talking about like the overall uh, kind of concept behind the episode, you pointed out um, before we watched it that um, it's written by Tracy Forbes, who wrote Beer Bad mm-hmm. and Something Blue, um, yes. which Something Blue is kind of the odd one of the three and the best <laughs> one of the three. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that uh what is this episode more so than just maybe not being the strongest of the season the other thing this episode has in common with beer bad is that they're the two episodes to me that seem the most um like metaphor heavy and and especially the most kind of cliched about what would be metaphors for like a freshman in college like what are the what are the things that you're faced with when you leave home and go off to school and like all the kind of notions of teenagers going wild on their when they're left unsupervised and what kinds of like adult and you know dangerous behavior they're going to get up to when they're unsupervised so you get you know beer and beer via or alcohol and beer bad and and sex in this episode and yeah. it's kind of interesting it makes me wonder because that's very they're unique in that respect like there was some other stuff like early in the season there's some stuff about like the older clicky kind of you know upperclassmen mm-hmm. there's the one with her kind of hellish roommate it's not right. like it's not like this is the only college metaphor that they've done but they're the two most like obvious like like if you were gonna like if you're gonna make a list of all the things we have to do metaphors of these are the two and like they're they are heavy-handed like there's just not a lot of there there behind 
like just yeah. like beer bad kind of came out the other end with what did we learn beer is foamy like no real conclusion about this like it doesn't really help you on it doesn't give you any new insight into yeah. like anybody's experience really it just sort of happens um it makes me wonder whether tracy forbes was sort of drawn to those stories whether that was something that she found interesting and and mm. you know that she kind of maybe raised her hand and put you know volunteered for that or, or whether or possibly even pitched them or right. possibly even pitched them or you know was did she draw the short straws and got stuck with like the briefs that you know nobody was really interested in and so <laughs> like you know i i don't know and sure not that that would change my opinion of how successful they are but it's funny to me that those two that she wrote are kind of the only two like that in the season that i've seen um you know hmm. it just makes me wonder um yeah and they're both so beer bad is sort of right down there with bad eggs um mm. as far as like episodes go in sort of the fan consciousness and and ordering yeah um i've seen like yeah and the way i described this one to you before we watched it uh was so it's written by tracy forbes who wrote Beer Bad and Something uh -huh. Blue. And this one kind of splits the difference. <laughs> like, there's yeah. actually some really good stuff in here. And I think we do yeah. want to not dismiss it out of hand. Yeah. But you're right. It's very heavy-handed. It's right there in your face. Kind mm -hmm. of the obvious, you know, thing going on. Not a lot of subtlety as far mm -hmm. as the metaphor goes. And, you know, it is what it is. Um I will say that this is Tracy Forbes' last episode written for Buffy. Um, she's gone on to do other things, nothing particularly notable. Um, right. You know, she's worked on other shows and stuff, and that's you know good for her. She found work; that's great. Um, I don't. I I looked through a list of like the other shows she's worked on, and like most of them I've never even heard of. So. Right. Yeah. Maybe I'm just in the wrong fandoms. Maybe they're well, very good shows. It, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't. It suggests that it's more than just she got the nightmare brief that nobody else wanted. Yeah. You know, like, that there's something about it, you know, uh, there, there might be some inherent flaw in these concepts, but also, you know, a, a mediocre concept can be raised, you know, by the talent of a screenwriter basically you know mm -hmm. so maybe in another and, universe if somebody else had written these we would have gotten slightly more nuanced versions of them or maybe you know it just wasn't she maybe she wasn't a good fit for the show and maybe they'd learn not to do stories like this in the future yeah <laughs> like, well and and i would say too that like i i feel like the pieces of this episode which are sort of the ones worth talking about are the ones that relate to the characters beyond the events of the episode. Right. It's so like, yeah, the yeah. things like with Anya and Xander and yeah. Willow and Tara and even Spike and his sort of correlate, you know, inner, inner reactions with, uh, with Anya yeah. and that kind of stuff. So I, you know, I would say that those things that like sort of 
see the characters in 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 a broader light and in yeah. a more you know in a further development you know from a sort of seasonal or or even series perspective uh are the ones that will end up <laughs> talking about more so than right you know the pieces of the episode that are sort of and that's probably the stuff that comes out of the writer's room like probably it's like that's the stuff that or that even making joss is or like, that joss it, you know this needs to there. be in there so yeah. that you like, know, when something things, happens five episodes later, it's Here's the things that need to happen by the end of the episode. Yeah. You know, Xander and Anya need to be in this place in their relationship. And so, right. you know, you right. need to kind of make that happen. So, um, yeah. I've seen this episode described, though. So to kind of go back, you know, because I, I mean, I think we both like something blue. So, like, yeah. it's not like, you know, everything she did was terrible or anything but like you know beer bad is clearly you know thought of as one of the worst episodes this i this episode i've seen described as the worst of the best so like if you think of like maybe sort of the halfway point of where you might rank buffy episodes this would be like near the middle Mm. maybe slightly above you know the halfway line like that's one way i've seen it described and if i think about it too like something blue what it had going for it was like the humor and the kind of absurdity of the situation and and i think the moments in beer bad and and this that work are the kind of funnier lighter little character moments and stuff it seems like where it falls down is like any like you can't take these metaphors seriously because Mm -hmm. they're not taken seriously and they're kind of treated as though they're ridiculous and but they're but they're not just treated like fun either they're like you know like you said like they're delivered with a heavy hand so you can't just like laugh your way through the episode like, yeah but so and it's kind of be... like you know uh, yeah yeah uh, go ahead well i was just gonna say like I'll, I'll be on it like i'm not particularly religious and stuff but kind of the whole you know, blaming it on a religious woman who, you know, forced baptized the children in her care and that kind of thing. Like it almost seems like they could have done away with that and just dealt with the fact that there was like a poltergeist in the house, like without getting into all of that kind of stuff. Like, and right. Not to say that there's not, you know, religious people who act in nefarious ways like that. But Mm. I just, I feel like that was taking it one step too far and sort of removing it then even from the sort of college metaphor that it kind of did become. So like, so I feel like while that sort of thing might work in certain contexts, and while the sexual metaphors and stuff might, you know, being in college and all that might have worked, sort of the two of them together right. didn't quite mesh well enough. Yeah. Um, and that's neither here nor there. I, that's just my feeling on it. So I, I think, I think there are a number of things that could have, because, because like I don't, I don't know what they get, other than the realization that like, oh, these things aren't actually dead people they're you know trauma that you know created 
a psychic energy from living people. Yeah. Like it takes them like five minutes of screen time to get yeah. to that conclusion by visiting, you know, what's her name? Genevieve's house. And I just, I don't know that that's like, I don't know what the worth yeah. of that is. Yeah. Like right. why? Well, and the whole thing, the, the whole thing just felt like not very well thought through. Like, cause even when, like the whole thing with Genevieve does feel kind of tacked on at the end. And like, mm-hmm. they're there for like a minute and you know, okay, yeah, she's a nasty lady, but like Giles gets like really, really big and furious and angry. And it just felt like a big overreaction to me. It was like, yeah. I don't know. I think because there wasn't any build up to it and it wasn't really that relevant to what was going on. Yeah. And the whole thing, it's like, I almost wish you either went like the really dark, like you said, pick one or the other, either Mm -hmm. do like a really dark, twisted kind of story about child abuse, you know, Mm -hmm. in which case, by all means, let Giles get furious. Oh, yeah. You know, or do a like crazy kind of sexy romp, you know, about like college students who can't control their libido or something, you know, like it felt like it wanted to do kind of both and they kind of canceled each other out a bit. Like it wasn't light enough to just be like crazy and funny, but it wasn't heavy enough to be serious either. So. Yeah. Well, and even because then you get Xander undercutting the whole thing with his fart joke, you know what I mean? So it's like, right. Really? Like, yeah. And I'm okay with funny stuff, but that's like, you know, funny stuff coming in on the tail of like serious or whatever, or vice versa. But like, that I don't know like that just didn't seem right you know what I mean like it just didn't seem well not right in a moral sense but just well timed you know what I mean like I don't know well I think that's where uh you know I think Buffy and Doctor Who are both probably very difficult shows to write for in the mm -hmm. sense of that balance of comedy and drama Mm -hmm. and judging just the right moments and what's the balance we need to strike in this episode and sure how they can get really dark or emotional but also they have to be funny you know all the yeah. time basically yeah. so yeah. you need uh if you if you don't have if you have kind of a weak episode and then you don't have like a joss whedon or a jane espenson or somebody to like hit that balance right mm-hmm. it just is kind of awkward <laughs> Yeah. Yep. So, I, I mean, agree. but but probably has more character moments than Beer Bad did. So that's probably sure. is what saves it, is the fact that, okay, well, at least we're, maybe not with Buffy and Riley, but for the others, at least we're <laughs> advancing their stories somewhat. Um, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. Like at least at least there's some stuff worth talking about, so we should maybe get to that stuff rather than bashing on it any longer. <laughs> okay. Well, I actually would like in terms of the characters who deserve a little bit more time, um I'd like to start with Anya. Um mm-hmm. I don't know that we've ever done that before. So, uh cuz she gets a bit more it's not really an Anya-centric episode, but mm. she gets kind of the biggest role, I think, um, or one of the bigger roles. Um, sure. So that's cool. Good for her to be getting a little bit more and, screen time. And I've 
I've stated before, I think in the podcast, certainly to you, mm-hmm. that like Anya develops into one of my favorite characters in the entire season. And it's funny because yeah. I've I had forgotten how long it actually takes for that to happen. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but like like now that you're right, like this is an episode where she's finally getting some pretty good screen yeah. time and character development and stuff. And there's things in this episode where like I remember like <laughs> like the woohoo, you know, comment. Yeah. Like, you know, just stuff like that that like I don't know, like Forced you forget cheer, about yeah. and yeah. and just yeah. are part of the reason why I love her character so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she's a good one for this episode because, like, it is kind of about that awkwardness of her, like, wanting to be, you know, yeah. living, like, she has all these impulses to live like a, you know, whatever they are, you know, 18, 19 year old girl, you know, yeah. but also not really understanding what normal is if normal exists she's not quite sure what it is and so she kind of has no frame of reference in which to gauge you know her wants and her desires versus whether those are kind of quote normal um so you know you kind of get her at the beginning um freaking out a bit to xander because they've apparently gone two nights (laughs) without sex and she's thinking that this means he's gonna dump her she's not exciting anymore he's moving on they're gonna break up and all these things um and you know like so that kind of does work with the whole idea because like you'd imagine if you're Anya and you're not really sure what it's like to be you know a college-age you know, young woman and everything. And she's looking around at, you know, what other kids their age are doing. And maybe she's looking at what Buffy and Riley are doing. You know, there's this, she has this idea that they need to kind of be all over each other constantly. Um, Otherwise she's starting to panic. Um, So, you know, that kind of makes sense given her background. Um, And, and it's funny because it's the very, wondering whether you're normal and in a normal relationship that kind of makes her normal you know what right. i mean like it's it's yeah. that very insecurity that's the most normal thing that, about it. that everybody feels about especially with a first love kind of situation you know where it's right. you know first like true love sort of thing mm-hmm. um you know where you are sort of fumbling your way and you're not sure what every little thing means and you perhaps think that it's at times very easy to, you know, break up much easier than maybe it should be. And then there are other times when you think maybe things are going to last much longer than mm-hmm. they actually are going to be. And that kind of, so like, you know, just that, yeah, that very insecurity and the very, you know, questioning of, is this, are we done? Are we not done? What's going on here? You know, yeah. That actually kind of makes the normalness of the situation. Sorry. And it's funny to see Xander, excuse me, be the more level-headed one about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Xander, who's all about, you know, kind of his physical impulses and all that kind of thing. Him being, well, he says, like, there's there's more to our relationship than sex. Or there should be. <laughs> and it's that right. it's at that point that they kind of stop and think, is there more to it? That, like, I don't right. know at this point, you know, 
it i mean granted we don't see a lot of them like on their own and it like mostly what we see them doing is working with the scoobies and everything but sure maybe they haven't really gotten a whole lot deeper than that yet it kind of seems like in this episode that's what's starting to happen you know that by the end there's a bit more uh you know affection there than there like just kind of pure affection not mm -hmm. like you know Lust. chemistry necessarily yeah. yeah um so like you don't necessarily expect xander to be taking that role but um the other right. thing too in the beginning which i thought is interesting is uh her kind of continual resistance to being around the initiative guys you know mm. and i kind of felt bad that she's feeling pressured to go to this party and stuff you know because yeah like from her point of view like she's funny about it she doesn't like get upset you know so maybe you don't kind of realize how uh intimidating that must be but for her I'd have, if I were her, I don't think I'd want to go to that house and hang around those guys. Like, you know, right. she's seen what they did to Spike and to, you know, Walsh and Adam and all these other people. Um, and, uh, you know, it kind of made me want to smack Xander a little bit. That, like, you know, there's a little bit of kind of, well, come on, you know, everyone's going to be there doing the kind of, like, peer pressure-y thing. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it, I just kind of was on. I wanted him to show a bit more sensitivity to her there. Yeah. 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 No, I think I think that's fair. Um, although it is too funny when she decides to go, she so shows the same exact insensitivity to Spike. <laughs> to Spike. <laughs> so, like, yeah. like, yeah, I agree with you on the one hand. Yeah. But on the other like she turns right back around yeah. and is the same exact way. Well, so. and even more so because they actually like know Spike, whereas like right. they don't know anything about her. Um, That's probably, I think, I mean, there, there's a number of funny moments, but like that moment where Xander's, you know, saying uh, hostile 17, hostile 17. Yeah. And like, they're all looking around and then like nothing happens. And Spike's just like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, okay. and then he yeah. stays and hangs out, and like the one guy, like, sort of recognizes. Yeah, him. that that was like, that was one of the funniest parts. Is the like, do I know you from somewhere? No, I just have one of those faces. Like, this is like, you know, that's one of the commandos who's yeah. down there, who like right. probably got like knocked over by Spike, like when he was trying to escape or something. Right. But um, but like um, once he's decided that they're not, nobody cares. He's just like totally yeah. casual well, about it. it. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you don't who, act out of place, nobody yeah, would and, notice. And yeah. who would ever expect that he would walk in there, right? Who, what demon would have the gall to like actually yeah. go in there, kind of thing? And of course, Spike. Spike's the demon who would have that gall, you know. Yeah. And he's there. Like he yeah. doesn't realize it at first, but once he does, he stays. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So no, it's pretty funny stuff. Um. I mean, we also get some funny stuff between Anya and Spike. Like, they kind of team up and band. And they kind of... Uh, I like their kind of little reminiscence about, like, the 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 killing power that they no longer have. Like, yeah. you know, um, 
they used to have so much power um mm -hmm. and they don't anymore you know and you know whereas spike just misses you know being able to like bite people and you know fight right. them and kill them and like you know with anya you kind of get this more kind of angsty like you know because her whole you know being was this vengeance demon and it was sure. all about avenging scorned you know lovers and everything so now that she's actually experiencing that herself she can't do anything about it right um now that it's actually personal um which is of course funny because she's not actually being scorned no like, i mean i guess kind of in a way but like certainly not like enough no. to wreak vengeance on no somebody. no no um no but again to her i think one of the big things about anya is like uh she has the normal natural feelings that everyone else has but no sense of proportion <laughs> like yeah her her frames of reference are not like she doesn't really have them so you know for her you know any cooling of the excitement with xander equals we're breaking up or right. any kind of okay we're having a fight means she's scorned and wishes she could like you know wreak yeah. vengeance upon him and everything um and she doesn't act on these things but like she's kind of very uh dramatic in her thinking yeah well and so there's and there's another little parallel there too though right between her and spike because you kind of wonder like if she did have her powers would she right and so like is the only thing preventing her from sort of wreaking that vengeance the fact that she doesn't have her powers or mm -hmm. like you know when spike's like oh we should just do it you know you get xander and i'll get drusilla and yeah. we'll you know kind of trying to make this pact with her she's right. like uh eh, yeah. you know it's yeah. kind of a nice idea but i don't really want to like is that a sign of like maybe she's really reformed like right it's not just a matter of having powers whereas spike you know totally would if he didn't have this chip mm -hmm. you know like like it with him you do see it as very much he's being prevented whereas with her it's like yeah i lost my powers but i'm also kind of like the place where i am now so right, right. you know even though in that particular moment she's kind of scorned but she doesn't really want to hurt xander yeah um yeah no she doesn't what she wants is you know his attention you know uh, you know, not that she couldn't do something out of anger, you know, mm -hmm. regardless, but, you know, I don't think she really does deep down want vengeance. Right. She wants, you know, the opposite of that. She wants them to be, you know, like, what does he say when he asks her later, like, what she's feeling? <laughs> and she's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sad, afraid uh, of being sad, without afraid, you, and a little yeah, hungry. And a little hungry. <laughs> Like, and this is why they're so perfect for each other, right? Like, yeah. it's right to that visceral, right? It's, I'm yep. sad, I'm afraid, and I'm hungry. <laughs> and it's and it's honest, you know? It's just, Right, like, right, there's no filter. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. No, that is uh, the funny part. The uh, No, that is a pretty hilarious moment. But also, like... So with Anya, right, she's she's still figuring out, still learning things. And you still get, a, you get very much a sense of, like, the selfish toddler with her as well. Mm. So, like, it's, 
it's all, you know, oh, you're not thinking about me and, you know, this and that. But as soon as, like, Xander's legitimately concerned for the safety of his other friends, she's like, eh, they're fine. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like she has this sort of <laughs> any kind of uh, uh, altruistic feelings for, like, Xander just being nice and helping people. Right. It's only when it's turned towards her which is i don't think is a surprise like it's not like the first time we've seen that but i think you know again this sort of goes to that that same thing like you know with her taking spike to the party and being oblivious to his potential danger there you know even though like she feels uncomfortable unless it's her decision she feels uncomfortable with going to right the initiative's house you know frat house or whatever Right. Well, and we still haven't, you know, it was in the last one where she says to Buffy, you're still here. Why aren't you going away? You know, we (laughs) still haven't broken the barrier of her um, caring about the others, like, for their own sake. You know, Mm -hmm. she gets along with them. Like, it's not like there's a problem there. And, like, we see her, it's not like she's frozen from the group like she interacts she's like she's part of the team but there's still that kind of sense of relating to them through xander and only for his sake in a way like like if he's not in the house they'll be fine you know like and i mean there's a part of it is like okay buffy is the slayer and riley's like a good fighter like really like they need us to come in to help them i'm sure so right there's an element of it that okay that's true but like you know i don't see anya at this point making any big leaps of self-sacrifice you know right for them yeah although that's kind of not true by the end you know like her and i mean okay xander's going so she's kind of going along with him you know it's still not totally on her own but you do see her like i kind of like that slow kind of climb up through the like vines like mm-hmm. and especially once he kind of gets like shoved in the bathroom and everything like she kind of has to go on on her own and like i just like the way like you know she gets knocked off the balcony and like falls really far and then her hand gets like impaled through stuff but she just like doesn't really, like freak out she's mostly just like annoyed like, yeah. like, she's just kind of, like, grumbling as she's, like, plodding on. You know, so there's something kind mm-hmm. of, like, just determined about it. Like, yeah. it's not like she's doing anything particularly heroic. It's just like, well, this is a pain in the butt, but, you know, yeah, it's got to be done. And so, you know, by the end, I kind of felt like that was one of the more, uh, I guess one of the more involved things like that she's actually like put herself through something kind of dangerous and scary for the sake of the group. Yeah. Although I do think you still get the sense that she's doing it kind of for Xander. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that it's, yeah, that at least, at least she's recognizing at this point that he's not going to stop caring about them no matter what she says. So it's kind of like, fine, then I have to care about them too, I guess. Right, 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 right. 
Um, yeah, like, like, okay, we've progressed from complete indifference to concern, but it's still not concern for its own sake. It's kind of for because he wants that. It like because that will make them closer. You know, that will yeah. aid her relationship, and not in like a not in like a super manipulative way. Like she's not, she's kind of honest about that. She's not like tricking anybody necessarily, but like, um, it, there's still a sense of like, it's, it's not for its own, it, for itself that it's right. because it will strengthen their relationship. Yeah. So there's like a kind of ulterior motive there, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's the, I value this thing because you value it, not because I value it. <laughs> yeah. Right. But and, least, I val- and I value you. Like, I value we, you, the, so like, I value And that's the kind of the growth that, like, is like, yeah. okay, I don't get this, but you do, so I will mm-hmm. do you the courtesy of caring about it because you want me to, you know? Right. Which shows at least some kind of sensitivity to Xander, if not to everybody else. <laughs> so... Um. Yeah. Yeah. But then and and then I do kind of like they feel more they feel closer in a slightly different way at the end mm. like when Xander kind of mentions, you know, if we're still together when I'm middle-aged, you know, don't let me go through a midlife crisis. And like just the mention of we might still be together when we're middle-aged makes right. her kind of get all like ooh like kind of gooey about it. So like the fact that they're kind of in that frame of mind and it, it that seemed like a slightly it's not just living for the pleasure of each other in the moment but kind of a more i guess like long-term sure. view that they're seeing it as right yeah i would agree so we also have any well any other thoughts about Xander and Anya and even Spike, I guess we kinda lumped him in with them. Um I don't think so. I mean well, the other thing I want to mention with Spike is um the moment when you think he might come in and help them. And then he no, doesn't yeah. his yeah. you know, his little speech about, you know, I know I'm not the heroic type and you know, and then he kind of convinces himself that, okay, I really have no reason <laughs> to, you know. Then he just Actually, sort of, that all sounds pretty good. So he I'm just kind of shrugs that. and walks away. Um, yep. So, you know, lest we start to get too, you know, comfortable with Spike. He's always there. He's still trying to remind people that he's yeah. a bad guy. But I like that... I mean, even the fact that he would do that joke acknowledges the fact that it's plausible. And, like, right. you know, you could, you're, it's funny because you're almost there. You can almost see him doing it. But then, no. Um, but even that is kind of testament to how far he's fallen from, you know, villainy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Um,. That's all I had for Spike. Um, Willow and Tara. Willow and Tara. What um, about Willow and Tara? Well, 
not a lot with them because the only real thing we get turns out to kind of not be for real. Like there's, I mean, the, the moment, you know, they're talking about, okay, horseback riding, Willow's scared. Tara says, you know, oh, okay, you know, it's not that bad. You can come and I'll show you, you know, and they get in a little flirtatious and, you know, Willow puts her hand on Tara's knee and Tara jumps back and, you know, no, don't touch me. It's disgusting. And so, you know, what you think is kind of a, you know, issue in the relationship turns out to not be. It's kind of the influence of the house, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, I don't read that as any real indication of how Tara feels, I don't think. Um, I see that as the same as, like, the girl who goes and, like, cuts her hair in the closet. Like, she's kind of, you know, almost, like, possessed for a moment or something. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe in the next episode she'll, you know, but I don't think so. So... I. I think the way that she comes back and is she, she comes doesn't back like knowing like explicit, okay yeah right she doesn't like explicitly apologize because what like I think that's what we're sort of to take it at like she doesn't have anything to apologize for like I think it seems like both her and Willow sort of acknowledge that and then Willow actually touches her knee again at the end I don't know if you Does she I, that. I didn't catch that um, no so there is sort of like a parallel moment. Okay. where she sort of accepts it at the end. So right. it's very subtle. Okay. Uh, yeah, but... okay. I didn't notice that, but that's how I took it. Like, And mm -hmm. especially because Tara comes back and kind of says, like, you know, this house is a little bit weird. So you're kind of clued into the fact that she's not, she's aware that it's affecting her. Um, you know, and that's kind of what gives them the clue that maybe they should, get out of here and go figure out like something's wrong um mm -hmm. so you know that turns out to be kind of a fake out so we don't really get a lot of you know forward progress with their relationship i guess um you know other than to say that tara's again still part of the group you know um yeah becoming more involved and even kind of you know, getting involved with the spell with Giles and even being like one of the leaders of the spell, like, you know, helping to kind of perform it and direct it and everything. Um, yeah. yep. So I had like Willow's uh, get over it <laughs> to the, yeah. to the poltergeist. <laughs> right. Right. Like she can't quite yeah. understand yeah. or think of what else to say. So. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if there was anything that you thought was really important for them. Um. No, I think, I mean, this is sort of the first overt action on Willow's part. Right. Uh, of, you know, physical sort of physical yeah. feeling and stuff there. And so do you take that? I guess I already sort of hinted at the as, answer right as <laughs> like, influenced do you, do you take that as being influenced by the house as well you know i didn't um and that's even without the even that's with me missing the bit that you said at the end um mm -hmm. i kind of took that as more genuine i don't know why um maybe because i know it's heading that direction anyway so i, I wasn't I, surprised to see it happen so 
I think we're meant to. So, yeah. like, I don't, like, I mean, yeah, I kind of realized halfway through my sort of hinting, you know, there that, like, yeah. oh, yeah, I sort of already gave the <laughs> answer away to well, that and one. Well, it seemed like, it seemed more kind of natural mm-hmm. and, and like, it well, it didn't have the kind of exaggerated kind of lust of all the other, like, of what you know, what's going on with Buffy and Riley and then the, like, spin the bottle and the people with the wall, which is just weird and all that kind of thing. Like, it doesn't, it didn't, it didn't have that kind of, like, caricatured thing to it. It seemed yeah. like what something Willow would do. So right. I think that's why I didn't take it as, like, influenced necessarily. Um yeah, and actually the people with the wall, you just remind me. <laughs> um, I I don't know if you recognize, and I'm not sure I even really did for the first few times that I saw it. Um, the first guy there, you know, the one who's talking about language and sort of the mm. taste of language and whatever, and um, he puts his hand on the wall. Uh, he is also in Beer Bad. You know, I didn't notice that, but I looked up... I was trying to get a quote or something and I looked mm. up the transcript and it said like, it's the guy from beer band. Yeah. So I read that. I didn't remember what he looked like, but that same kind of pretentious, like yeah, chatting was, up the girl. Kind exactly. Of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So, and I think it's supposed to be the same character, right? You know, like it does, it's not just happens to be the same actor, but like, right, right. I think that's somewhat intentional. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so yeah, anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just thought I'd mention that I think these are the only two episodes he appears in, too. <laughs> um, how about so, Giles? Yes, oh, Giles. We have to talk about Giles. We do. Um, Uh, (laughs) How did you like the surprise? Behind uh, blue eyes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was great. Um, Yeah, I I love that he's like, he needs grown-up time. So he goes to like coffee house open mics and does his like wannabe rock star thing. And I I love the song choice too. Oh yeah, Um, it's a great song. It's a great song. And, but it's a good song, but it's also, there's something kind of silly about it. Like, this kind of, like, guitar ballad of, like, you know, the the lyrics are kind of in the context of Giles singing them and everything. Right. It's like this angsty, like, oh, nobody understands. Nobody me, knows you know? what it's like to yeah. be the bad man. The bad man yeah. behind blue eyes and stuff. And it's like this kind of, well, like, if when you stop and think about it, there's something funny about it. So it, it fits well, I think, yeah. with... And, that kind and, of like wanting to like see himself as this rock star and stuff. I just like. Yeah, I mean, and you think back to like the Ripper persona and yeah, stuff, yeah. like you know, stuff like that. Well, and but, it's of that generation and everything, mm-hmm. so you got the classic rock thing going but on I, there. And... I also like that it's, you know, like the behind blue eyes. You have to think back to like Buffy. You know, how did you know it was me? You know, it was your right, eyes. Like you right, know that kind right. of thing. Like. You know, that it's, it's, there's something there's, you know, the, the quintessential window to the soul kind of, you know, um, sort of thing. Yeah. Right. But Um, uh, but other than that, the lyrics don't really apply to Giles at all because he's not this like 
cold cut off like you know it, it it's, it's all the lyrics about like you know as you know, as empty as my conscience seems to be like nobody right. has a bigger conscience than giles <laughs> like he's not this like lone wolf rogue you know like you know so there's some ways where the, the lyrics kind of work and then there's other ways where it's like you know it's just not who he is yeah. at all but, like you almost because you get that i, I love that look that he when he looks up and he notices them that yeah. the scoobies are standing there watching them and he yeah. kind of like you can see the sort of like almost shame in his eyes you know in his expression yeah there and you you like you wonder like is he ashamed because like you know he's been found out and they're seeing him singing or are, is he like ashamed because of like the song choice like right. because like you're saying like the lyrics simply don't apply to him and he knows that right. but like he can sort of pretend in front of other people right. but in front of them he can't kind he of can thing. be this like mysterious stranger you know yeah. this kind of ballad singer and everything um, um but so... if we're gonna talk about giles and yeah. singing we have to talk about the reaction to giles and right. the singing right well, and it makes, so, like, <laughs> all the girls get, you know, kind of turned on by it. And, except for Xander. And so that did make me wonder, like. Well, and, like, even, even you know, like, Willow and Tara, who are themselves. I mean, we, we know that, we know that Willow, obviously, has liked men in the past. Right. Okay. I mean, since so you know where the I'm relationship gonna bring this is. Up. I'm going to bring this up because I try not to read ahead and see spoilers and, you know. I, I was going to say. I since... have seen discussion in question. And the impression I get is that um, when she gets, when this thing with Tara gets going, that mostly Willow is identified as lesbian. Mm -hmm. You know, but... I've seen kind of people say cry foul to that and say, you know, surely she's bisexual because, you know, we've seen her in other, you know, happy relation, you know, had a happy relationship with Oz and everything. So, you know, I don't, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, I'm just saying, I don't see why she shouldn't be turned on by Giles because it's not like yeah. she's exclusively into women necessarily oh, yeah. so no i i think it's not at all like and she even she even the way she phrases it is i remember why i used to have a crush on him like first of all oh you used to have a crush on Giles, right. but then yeah. also yeah. like like the way she sort of phrases it is like kind of wistful you know what i mean like not like mm -hmm. but like also like it's not that far a possibility that old feelings could be stirred up. You know right, what I mean? So right. like, I don't think I was thinking more about Tara mm. who we don't know this about her yet, but since we already have sort of discussed the way the thing is going, yeah, it will be revealed that she has more experience in the same sex relationship area than Willow does. Okay. So like, I don't think that it's, it's, like the fact that even she's a little sort of right. Well, you know, then that turned makes you wonder too. Like... <laughs> is that are they under you know the influence of the house? The fact, like the fact that they all kind of got like 
yeah. you know, kind of misty-eyed about it. But I wasn't, that wasn't really clear I don't me. think, like, I don't get the feeling that, in general, that influence extended beyond the house itself. Really. Right. Right. Like, because even when they're standing outside, like, Anya has to sort of be touching the house to sort of... Right. And I have a feeling that if that was it, Xander would be in on it, too. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Like, the fact that he's not... We've seen him make some sort of homoerotic comments in the past. Well, and and just that Xander, to me, is always the most easily influenced by, like, that kind of thing. You know, the, the magical persuasion and stuff so um you know yeah Mm -hmm. so i did kind of i wasn't sure but i did kind of just take it at face value so yeah yeah (laughs) no i think i I mean xander's just sort of surprised he's like wait what's going on now but like definitely the women are Uh, all kind of into it into it yeah go giles yeah um yeah and then I will, uh, I will say it's not the last time we see him say. Oh, good. Uh, um, and and I so I don't re- I'm sure we must have brought this up before, but uh, he he's actually a well known as a singer. Yeah. Uh, yes. And and has a number of albums. Well, he did. We brought it up before when didn't he sing on the soundtrack? Like he kind of does some vocals or something uh, for like some of the score. In the past. That could be. I don't remember talking about that, but maybe we did. I think that's <laughs> my, true. My, my memory... I think I'm not making this up. <laughs> my memory is not always the best, so I I would not... I would trust yours over mine. Um, but cer- certainly, whether he's uh, on the Buffy soundtrack or not, he definitely is... Uh, this is him singing, at, yeah. first of all. Uh, which was not true of Jonathan in Superstar. Uh, yeah, the, I the kind actual, of figured. But. Actually, we just since we forgot to actually mention that uh, in that episode when Jonathan is singing, the the voice is actually that of the uh, person who plays the lead singer of Dingo's Ain't My Baby. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I think I stated that correctly. Yeah, it's the person who plays the lead singer of yes. Um, uh-huh. Anyway. Back to Giles. This is actually Giles singing, although it's not his, on the actual soundtrack, it's not his playing guitar. Oh, okay. uh, it's actually, he's slightly out of uh, sync there a little bit uh, <laughs> in the video, but the, um, but it is his singing and he, he has, I mean, he has a number of albums and has been in musicals and stuff. He was actually okay. in recently a uh, bit part uh, of that musical show Gallivant. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, very. I briefly. did not watch it, but um, yeah. Anyway, cool. So uh, it's always nice when you have a talented cast member who you can call yeah. to like do a little song, you know, yeah. occasionally. Yeah. So we'll um, I won't tell you when. It'll, it's a little ways away. It's not again this season. I'll say that much. But uh, mm-hmm. we will see him with guitar and. <laughs> In in singing mode, I guess. Well, and, and just the last thing for him, it kind of continues the theme this season of him, like, what does he do with his time when he's not, you know, because <laughs> yeah. he's, not, he's not exactly employed. So Notoriously unemployed. Yeah, so fact. he teaches himself. So far as we know. So far as we I know. I don't know. I mean, we're finding out secrets about 
this is things true. that he does. So This is true. I'm not so. saying that he does have a job either. I'm just stating that yeah. we may not know everything about Giles. That's a good and point. And his activities. <laughs> I mean, he must be supporting himself somehow. You would think. Or he was paid really well and put a lot of that money away. Yeah, he was by his for... high school librarian. Well, I mean, he was working for the council, too, the Watcher's Council. So, right. you know, in effect, he had two salaries at that point. So maybe right. he was able to sock some of it uh, away. But that's all speculation. I think we've sort of wrung what we can wring out of this <laughs> episode. Uh, any any parting thoughts, uh, ideas? Not really. All right. Well, then let's move on to the Doctor Who uh, 2011 Christmas special. Yeah. Uh, the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get into the setting and the situation, I actually want to talk about I almost said the frame, but it doesn't. It doesn't quite work as a frame because mm-hmm. they're like they're like mismatched bookends, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, to this story. Yeah. So I wanna I wanna talk about the two pieces we get, like the couple minutes before you know the opening credits, yeah, and then the the last couple of minutes, um, sort of as two separate pieces, and then we can talk about the episode proper. Because um, I kind of feel like those are the two most important pieces of the episode. Unfortunately, um, it's true. But, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so going back to your original opening comments about, you know, wishing these were sort of more like the the tales they are named after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, this one I felt like there were some moments that are worth discussing, but all in all, I I was kind of... Eh, about yeah. the episode. Yeah. Um, neither here nor there at the moment. Uh, the ship blowing up in the beginning. Yeah. So, now mind you, it's been a couple of weeks since we've actually talked about a new episode of Doctor right. Who. And the last one we talked about was, of course, the season finale where we're getting the Doctor sort of going undercover or going silent (laughs) uh in a way like hiding from the silence basically Mm -hmm. you know from all of the like they think he's dead and Mm -hmm. uh we see him sort of in black cowl or Mm. dark cowl anyway was it black i can't remember and and sort of um you know pretending that he's no longer uh of import or yeah. significance to the silence. Um, and we talked about sort of the time implications, you know, uh, did it, you know, was he able to create a um, fixed event, fixed mm-hmm. point? Fixed point. Fixed point. Ah, see, we just read, I've just read that story. Timelines all these zombies, and, and he talks about fixed events. And, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, fixed point. And, of course, you know, well, was the fixed point ever really him? No, it was actually the test selector and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Sure. So that's the last we saw. Yeah. Uh, the doctor. The first time we see him, 
And granted, you know, my wait of a couple weeks is, wasn't as long as the wait between mm-hmm. when the season finale originally aired and the Christmas special yeah. opened. But now when we first see him, he's blowing up a ship mm-hmm. and running. Um, and I made some assumptions as to what mm. was going on there, which you have since suggested that perhaps my assumptions <laughs> were not wholly accurate yeah and perhaps may not be made but here are the assumptions that i made one is that he's the one blowing up the ship which i suppose we don't ever actually see him as the one blowing up the ship but you know there's a ship blowing up and he's running quickly and it's not the first time that we've seen that sort of activity right uh and can sort of surmise that he's the one responsible mm-hmm. <laughs> um the second assumption I made, which I will admit is the bigger one, is that I thought that we were meant to take this as a ship owned by the Silence. Mm. Uh, you corrected me? Or well, not maybe corrected isn't the right word. You suggested that, you, you pointed out that we <laughs> don't actually ever know whose ship it is. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, that's a fair point. But I guess I, my, which then, and the reason why I wanted to sort of remind everyone where we were at the end of the last episode that we saw (laughs) was because that's, I'm taking this as not, not like a, you know, one flows right into the next per se, but that Mm -hmm. like, I took his going undercover or well, see, and I guess my even even my phrasing sort of suggests how I took it. Right? I took his disappearance, so mm-hmm. to speak, as going undercover to hunt down and destroy the silence. Okay. So, all of that said, yeah, you you sort of again suggested like that's not necessarily accurate. Um, and, and, and to be fair, you never said that it wasn't accurate either. Like you just said that you don't think that there's enough evidence to point one way or the other. I as so far as we have, uh, anything at the moment. I think that if we were supposed to know that this was him hunting down the silence, that we would know that, um, that it would be more clearly, that it would be more clear that like there would be. If that was a point that was being made, then there would be, like, a point to it. Whereas the fact that it's just this cold open, to me, honestly, I think this is a big excuse to get him falling from the sky in a spacesuit so that he can get rescued and discovered by Madge. Um, And you you pointed out... I can see how when watched back to back that you could easily read it that way. And, I mean, I don't say that to, like, I love the kind of fan fiction-y practice of, like, filling in gaps. Like, that's not to say that, like, whatever this spaceship is is completely irrelevant and unimportant. I just don't know that we can really prove what that is. Like, I think we could fill in our imagination with all sorts of interesting things. Um, Sure. But I don't, I will say it's definitely, uh, we're not 
done with the silence, but like when we encounter them, we'll know it. Um, so sure. I don't, I'm not inclined to take this as necessarily like an encounter. The other thing I'll say is that the issue of him, uh, going undercover and what he does once he's sort of undercover, like, okay, doctor out in the world incognito without, with people thinking that he's dead, um, will be addressed more clearly in the premiere to season seven. So like, so next week, once like once next, basically. So (laughs) like, yeah. So like, okay. Doctor having faked his death, what does he do? Um, I think I'm right in saying that that will be a point which is brought up in the first episode and potentially beyond that. Um, So it might give you a better idea of what his goal is, whether that is, in fact, to do something with or to the silence themselves or to do something else. Um, We'll get more like this one is more standalone, um, Mm -hmm. whereas which once we once the seasons. yeah, Yeah, once the season starts, we'll get more kind of arc data of like, okay, what's his plan now? Um, right. If there is one. So, um, you know, well, now and then retrospectively, you could read that into this. Like maybe this ship does factor into some plan or goal that he has. I just don't know that we get enough to say definitively one way or the other. Yeah. yeah. Um, so and, I like and... the idea. I just don't know that it's <laughs> like in, you know, I don't know right. that that's like what. Stephen Moffat wanted us to think when he wrote Spaceship. Yeah, who cares what um, the author wants us to think? And this is my point. Like, I loved the idea of like speculating and filling in those gaps. And especially if you're watching them in a row, it does suggest things that aren't as forceful if you wait like two months before you watch it. Like, like if you're watching this on Christmas and you haven't seen an episode since like, whenever the last one was on, then I don't know that you have those ideas in your mind so much. But but when you watch them all in a row, it is kind of fun to join them up and try to sort of make, like fill in those gaps and stuff. And and I think that's, I think that's more typical of like, at least for American shows, like that's the way we tend to watch them anyway. Yeah. Like they do run and, and even obviously with Buffy and stuff like yeah, there, you don't have these same sort of gaps like you do in Dr. Who. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or even just British shows in general. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Gaps of several years. Are we going to make another season? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Although I did just see something today about Eve Miles saying uh, another Torchwood. I saw that. Uh, yeah, she she would she's ready, so. So. Who knows. Yeah. Well, anyway. Um the so, okay. I I just wanted to sort of acknowledge that. Like I so those were all my thoughts. Um oh, you the other thing you pointed out is that it's the grand Christmas tradition of ships crashing. falling and crashing yeah. and you're blowing up or whatever. So, yeah. um, or nearly crashing. Or yeah. It does it sort of tick um, that, tick that box. The other end, yeah. the back end, 
mm-hmm. we we want I want to talk about I want to make sure we talk about the ponds and not give yeah. them short shrift yes. by leaving them till the end. Although it does appear that we will probably end early <laughs> this week. Um, That's okay. The ponds. Yeah. So what what to do with well see and so this did is, you did you here's a question did you expect to see them in this episode I did not good I did not um, I tried not to uh, lean one way or the other so. I don't know that I expected to see them again ever right well I mean well like in the as like main like I like, expected when I when I realized that this was and a, you know, like a standalone companion sort of episode. Uh, I figured we would probably get a new companion, mm. you know, with the next episode. Mm-hmm. So I did not expect to see them again. I assume we'll see them again in the premiere mm-hmm. of the next season. So given that that's where we left off with him. But, you know, <laughs> eh. Yeah, British I, TV. You, you see how well my assumptions and, you know... Uh, yeah. in a you know lack of extrapolative abilities uh, <laughs> worked out at the beginning of this episode so I you know who knows um, no I absolutely did not expect to see them so I was pleasantly surprised especially like like it didn't really click to me that like when he was leaving Madge mm. uh, that there were still like four minutes left in the episode right. yeah Uh and so, like, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll look them up, blah, blah, blah. I totally expected him not to. Right. So, pleasant surprise. Yeah. Um, I yeah, he was... actually follows through. Right. That's totally was... the thing the doctor would do is, like, like actually you saying that just reminded me of, like, with uh, Donna at the end of The Runaway Bride when she says, come in for Christmas dinner. He's like, okay, I just got to park the TARDIS. And then he, like, tries to take off. Like, yeah. like. Yep. It could be like that, like a kind of, all right, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll think about it's it. And time to go see the Ood. Oh, I'm going to spend yeah, in like, weeks, months, years. Yeah. I don't know, like how long yeah. he did spend, you know, doing all this stuff. Right. So. Yeah, and that's, a, I, I, again, I'll bring back to, especially with the Christmas episodes, the, the barometer of, willingness to have Christmas dinner is always interesting to kind of go from, you know, Mm. whether it's from the big family event of Christmas invasion, then to flat out refusing to have Christmas dinner with Donna. Um, But then, you know, later on, like last year with Matt Smith at Christmas, we got him, you know, joyfully having dinner with, um, the family in A Christmas Carol. Now I can't remember the, um, Abigail, her family, you know, and, and him doing the kind of like playing games and being fun. And now here he goes, but it's reluctantly. And it's after like kind of getting lectured about it. And so wasn't that technically Christmas Eve? It was, this is true. Good. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, no, no, you're right though. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, here like he has to be kind of talked into yeah. it and nudged into it and yeah. bullied into it a little bit. Yep. Um, so, but I mean, but this does play into sort of my assumptions from the beginning of the episode too, because it's like, why suddenly? Okay, we find out it's it for 
we don't know subjectively how long it's been for him. Right. Uh, for the pawns, Amy tells us it's been two years. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm. Like, why bother to go see? And and I mean, obviously, you've already said sort of. So this answers the question now. But like in watching the episode as I'm watching it, like my thought is like, why bother to go undercover or I keep using the term undercover. Right. Why bother to sort of go underground right? Uh, at all if mm. you're just going to come back and reveal yourself? And oh, by the way, River already told us. So like we right. knew that River knew. Yeah. And, I mean, and we knew that, you know, at the end of the last episode, but like, we also knew that the doctor pretty much knew River was going to tell. Like, I mean, right. it doesn't see. It, I mean, he's clearly not surprised by it. Of course she did. You know, yeah. like, and <laughs> I like, oh, she's a good girl. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Good, be a good girl. Tell mommy. what What's the secret? Yeah. Um, yeah, that kind of maternal moment that Amy has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very well done. Uh, the... You know, so again, like these are these are the things I'm thinking of, and may have also sort of influenced my thinking about like sure. who you know who the ship belongs to and why it's blowing up, and whether the doctor caused it to blow up, mm. and that seems pretty likely, uh, <laughs> intentional or otherwise. Yeah. You know, like it maybe yeah. maybe it wasn't fully intentional. Who knows? Um, he certainly didn't seem prepared for it. No. Uh, you know, so all of those things sort of aside, like, I, I feel like even though they do feel like different bookends on either side, that yeah. there is potentially a connection between the two uh, and and the curiosity and no explanation about why he bothered to... To keep, from them, and to keep it from them, and to keep it from them, yeah, right. Why he bothered to keep the knowledge from them that he was alive, and why it's okay to reveal it now, right? Yeah, and I think it it kind of goes to this uh, idea of I think of what River said in the last finale about you know you have decided that the universe is better off without you, but the universe doesn't agree that, you know, that's kind of on the macrocosmic level, but on the microcosmic level, I feel like that's kind of the mistake he's making with his friends is that he's decided that things are better off without him and he's going to, so hiding from the silence includes, you know, hiding from his friends as well. And there's this sense of, you know, everyone will just be better off, you know, without me. Now, mm-hmm. we see from the crashing of the spaceship that he's not so good at the, you know, being quiet and not making a scene and not drawing attention to himself. Um, and, you know, so I think there's a lot to be said for why that's, like, not correct and also kind of a silly thing for him even to attempt really um but i mean i get I, I, I we don't really get a real explanation for why he includes amy and rory in that but that would be my only kind of guess would be that there's some notion of 
protecting them or this being for their own good that like the same impulse that led him to just gently sort of nudge them out of the TARDIS you know and give them a house and um kind of direct them to move on and Mm. be grown-ups and have their own life um you know for their own safety because this is what happens this is what always happens and he doesn't want something bad to happen to them you know i would think like him including them in this decision to let everyone just think that he died by the lake would be for that that there's some notion that it's kind of for their own protection um but then i think when he does go and talk to them pretty much then the silliness of that is revealed because of course when he thinks about it he knows that river would have told them anyway and he's kind of touched by how happy they are to see him and how they assumed that he would turn up eventually anyway um so you know yeah i always think of i can't help but think of whenever in movies people kind of are surprised by their own tears Mm. I'm always I have Jerry Seinfeld in the back of my head saying what is this salty discharge but so that's the only (laughs) the only bit of it when Matt Smith kind of wipes his tear away and then looks at it like I just always think what is this salty discharge but um I as much as that makes me laugh I like that moment of him genuinely not realizing how much they just assume that he's a part of their life they set dinner for him whether they know whether he'll turn up or not um and after a moment of kind of making him feel guilty about hiding it's like you know you pick up where you left off it's like you never left and they totally are warm and accepting um yeah so um i like that because so much we see the doctor like for good reasons or not, not really going back to old companions and breaking things off with them, you know, and there's exceptions to the rule. I mean, like, it's not like it's always a one and done deal, but like you see how he's kind of come to accept that he has these relationships for a certain amount of time and then they end. And then he goes and he finds somebody new and the cycle kind of continues. Whereas I like this idea of him kind of, maybe realizing it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, or I don't know. There's something kind of surprising that catches him off guard, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, And I just like, I, I, for all that it's like a quick little cameo, I really like Amy and Rory in that section like yeah they're just really funny and familiar and you just kind of like it's all the pawns like right you, you're kind of happy that he's there and they're nice and right. you know amy kind of refusing to hug him and stick, i was gonna say I and do the love water the pistoling yeah water pistoling the carol singers and um and how rory's like a couple seconds behind like i love his thing of like oh you're not dead we did that oh okay like right. <laughs> he has to like catch up, you know, but um yeah. you just kind of remember 
how fun they are, and it's nice to have the three of them all together. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's great. So, we're done, right? We've so done. now that we talked about the first scene and the last, <laughs> now we got to talk about everything else. Um, but, okay. Yeah, so, all right, the, the situation, we get the widow who's not really a widow. Right. Um, we get the, the sort of, so the setting uh, sort of takes its cues, mm. and I say it that way on purpose, mm-hmm. from, you know, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, I mean, the title of the episode is clearly, you know, The Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, very much clearly yeah. uh, pointing to that. Um, and we get other little sort of clues along the way, you know, uh, during bombing of London, and mm-hmm. uh, they leave the city to go, you know, to a house in the country. The country yeah. uh, it's of course. It's Uncle Digby rather it's, than yeah. Uncle Diggory. Well, so. and I was going to say, of course, you know, the, the change being that it's not just the children, right? It's the children right. and the mother. And there's, you know, so there's some little changes like that. And, yeah, like Digby versus Diggory. Um, we get the, the quintessential line of, you know, what are you learning in schools these days? Yeah. And uh, that type of thing. Um, and, yeah, so... You know, okay, like, you know, he calls the TARDIS his wardrobe, and Mm -hmm. uh, they don't climb through the wardrobe to get to the new land, It's which you're kind of expecting, Mm -hmm. but it's, you know, know, through this present, which is sort of hooked up to the TARDIS, right? So, like, it's kind of like, all right, Right. similar. Uh, And, of course, so then the world on the other side, it's Christmas there, Mm -hmm. and... uh, but, you know, like, things start to, like, go downhill, like, <laughs> pretty yeah. quickly as far as, like, the comparisons go. Like, yeah. um, I love the line, you know, are these trees alive? Of course they are. They're trees. They're trees. Like, yeah. <laughs> trees are alive. They are alive. <laughs> uh, just in general. And um, But even just the connection of tr- intelligent trees, you know, intelligent which is a Narnia trees, kind of yeah. thing. Um, and. And whispering to each other in sort the of, wind. Sort of the opposite, though, of the uh, it's always winter and never Christmas, right? Like, here it's right. like these trees are actually living Christmas trees. Christmas so, in trees. a way, it's kind of always Christmas right. there. Um, so, you know, a little little flippy flop there um, around. And so, I don't know. I don't know what more to say about it than that. Like, I mean, yeah. you get all these little, like, little hints, but, like, story-wise mm. not very yeah you know, i not... i'd agree with that I, I i will give this episode some props for that kind of surface level thing because this was maybe more than any other episode the one i was aware of that convinced me i wanted to watch the show because okay. i'm a you know c.s lewis fan sure. i love narnia and so i was seeing whenever this was out, all the kind of ads for it and everything. Yeah. And 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 kind of going, 
oh well any show which is like it just intrigued me all the obvious references and everything that kind of convinced me if it sees itself you know working in the same vein of that kind of you know fairy tale fantasy you know then that's something i'm interested in um but when you watch it you do kind of realize that most of those things are kind of superficial um whereas like that's fine but the contrast being i feel like a christmas carol you know the the story and the structure and the spirit of christmas carol are soaked into that episode it's not just about how many like jokes and references and quotes can we shove in it's about like it's about time travel and past and present and future and ghosts and changing and repentance and forgiveness and all these things and like it's you know it really like understands and invokes that story you know so and maybe this one suffers a bit by comparison but like i just don't know that this one gets at any sort of real spirit of you know narnia really um or or as deep a spirit in general like even apart from the references just like i don't know that it hits that same amount of like you know depth or profundity or whatever um yeah yeah so so as excited as i was (laughs) as excited as i was to see it it is a bit underwhelming because you kind of want something that like really engages with the Narnia books and incorporates some of the themes or, you know, or just maybe does something a little bit more interesting, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, so like the whole situation of like, okay, there's this planet and they're going to harvest all the trees for fuel using acid rain. Like, I mean, Okay, there's some sort of environmental message mm-hmm. kind of there, but like, um, and and but okay, so the trees are really alive. Okay, fine, and so they need to escape somehow. Like, yeah, I just like it's all very basic mm-hmm. plotting, and I mean, like, I don't even know that it, like in the way that sort of the Buffy episode at least has a metaphor. Like, I don't even mm. know that it ever sort of rises to the like right. level of even being metaphorical, Right. <laughs> you know, in that same sort of right. way. Um, yeah. It's more just a straightforward adventure. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's fine. Which I can be the, I think that is probably the, the most common flaw of the Christmas specials is that because they're standalone, like they, they're not connected to a season. It's easy to just sort of, um, I guess, but we get standalone stories within seasons too. You know what I mean? Like that's true. But like, even that I feel like, like with the Buffy episode, like, okay, the metaphor wasn't great but you have other character stuff that's kind of moving along anyway. You know, whereas I, and I think Doctor Who mostly does that. Like, even if the the monster or the theme of the episode isn't that arc-heavy, you still usually get, like, you know, some sort of character 
development. Whereas, like, I feel like this one doesn't necessarily, except for that ending, you know, yeah. except yeah. for when, you know... Except for the stuff that has nothing to do with the Except for the, the stuff that has nothing to do with the, the story. It's, like, yeah, because yeah. it's, like, I mean, if there's any relevance, it's just that, you know, okay, in spending time with a family, sure. you know, the doctor is reminded of the importance of family, you know? And so he has to go off and yeah. reconcile with his in a way, you know, yeah. but it's sort of like, it. that's a lot, it's a long time to get there, you know? So then you do unfortunately feel like the last five minutes is the most important part of the episode. Um, sure. Um, and I would, so... Actually, and I did, we in talking about sort of the similarities, um, we didn't bring up the children themselves. You kind of right. get the idea of Lily being sort of an am amalgamation of Peter and Susan. Peter and Susan, yeah. And uh, uh, Cyril. Cyril. I almost said Cyrus. I was like, that's not even close to being right. I'm kind of close, but yeah. anyway, Cyril. Uh, being uh, an amalgamation of Edmund and Lucy, mm -hmm. um, so with with the older siblings, right? You get kind of the responsibility and the yeah. bossiness, you yeah. know, and um, but also sort of the you know I'll handle things too, like mm -hmm. you know, like uh, being the one to kind of take the relay slash crown kind yeah. of thing, you know, um, and then. Um, you know, with the younger ones having sort of Lucy's curiosity and mm -hmm. Edmund's petulance, uh, right, you know, right. kind of. Yeah, uh, a bit more, yeah, less responsible, a bit more reckless, like, you know, mm -hmm. wandering through the portal and then following the footsteps and sort of, mm -hmm. you know, not really thinking too much about where I'm going yeah. or what's going to happen. But then also being hard-headed about returning and, yeah. you know, you know whatever that kind of stuff mm -hmm. um so yeah uh but again like okay so that's fine like that was a clever way to sort of not have too many kids running around all at once but right right uh you know again i don't know that that's that's fine <laughs> <laughs> like yeah it brings the story along and you only have two kids instead of four, so yay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm really struggling to, like, what to say about this stuff. Like, I mean, it's fun to see, like, when the doctor's running around and uh, sort of showing that off the house and all the, you know, I, mm -hmm. you do sort of, like, think of it as if you were a kid and you walked into a sitting room and all the chairs moved or, yeah. you know, you come into this really cool bedroom and it's got all this science and toys and hammocks and mm -hmm. you know that's cool and fun and a lemonade tap who wouldn't love that but you know yeah again it's like there's just not a lot there i think i think probably you're right it's more about just sort of the doctor remembering that he does have a family and mm -hmm. so you know he should go look them up maybe yeah um and i think maybe this point too about um you know kind of going with along with the moffat 
uh, and Davy's theme of like memory and and you know feeling things like the way that like he kind of says to Madge, um, you know, I'm older than I look and I can't really feel it anymore. You know, so right. you know, in terms of you know, we've talked about the Eleventh Doctor being in some ways more remote, like from the trauma of some of what we've seen him experience that he's kind of as much as he's more childish and we get like a big demonstration in this of like his childlike you know repairing all the rooms so that they do like crazy things um also being you know he can't really you know feel his home anymore you know enough to sort of pull them back um so I think that's, you know, it's just like little things. Like it's not really telling us anything new really, but there's like little moments where you're kind yeah. of reminded of where this doctor is and his story yeah. and everything. Well, and also sort of the, you know, again, rule number one, right? The doctor lies. So mm -hmm. it's, you get the, you know, the happy crying yeah. sort of stuff and of course at the end it's like you said it's what is this salty discharge you know it's like <laughs> yeah oh you know there's a bit of humanity in him as well right. you know like right that's... yeah he says like it's so human like yeah. like he wouldn't understand about that um humany womany just not a, not a great not, line not no. a good adaptation of that no trope it's not uh, that's a, that's a one too far i think yeah like yeah okay. yeah um but the 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 happy crying and all of that like is is the good, yeah yeah uh good sentiment but good sentiment did not need to call back that joke in that moment no um so i don't know how much more we want to draw this out Okay, so just really quick before we finish, uh, I like the moment when Madge uh, yells at her kids and doesn't really understand why she's doing that. And the doctor's insight about, you know, kind of being scared of future loss. You know, what's the point of them being happy now if they're going to be sad later? Um, the answer is because they're going to be sad later. Uh, mm -hmm. And... Actually, now that I say that, it kind of occurs to me that that could be a reason, too, why the avoidance of the ponds is, you know, again, that fear of future loss that, you know. Sure. He, he said to Amy, why, are, why is he dropping her off? Because she's still breathing. Because bad things haven't happened yet, and he kind of wants it to stay that way. And so avoiding them is okay, one good way of preventing the bad things from happening. But also, just like Madge making her kids, you know, it, it, it's because they're going to be sad later that she should make them happy in the moment. Um, and maybe mm -hmm. that's why he kind of goes to see Amy and Rory is, okay, bad things could happen to any of them, but it's because that that might happen that we kind of have a responsibility to, you know, love each other and be with each other now while we can, you know. Sure. Um, so, you know, just a little point, but 
I think that kind of, the fact that he understands that, I think, gives us some insight into what he's thinking, so. Yeah. Cool. But, yeah. <laughs> All right. I think no, I, it's, it's, I, a, it's a nice little episode. It's pretty to look at. It has some fun moments, but it's, you know, a little thin, so. Yeah. Well, then we shall let it go, and we'll be back next week with the premiere of a new season of yeah. Doctor Who. Yep. And a new episode of Angel. So. Cool. See you then.